you would, turn to the Bible to the book of James. James chapter 1. It's where we've been now for a few weeks, and we're going to continue on in this series called Faith Works. Faith Works. Looking at James writing to a group of believers who are going through... (coughs) Such a hard time. Life is troubled for them. They're facing all sorts of trials, very similar to the times that we're living in, where we are stressed out and overwhelmed and exhausted and scared and nervous, and there's all sorts of things going through our hearts and minds. And James's uh, audience was dealing with persecution, and we're dealing with a pandemic. And so the key to us uh, surviving this spiritually or thriving for the glory of God is faith. Faith works, and so we trust Christ through this. The book of James is absolutely perfect for us to be studying during this time, and today that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. You know, there are some times where uh, Val and I just sit back and take it in how awesome it is to have kids, and they're happy and having a good time and laughing and enjoying life, and it just seems like, wow, this is, this is so good, and then there's other times where it's not really like that. And I've gotten now to where when we all get in the car together, I'll, I'll try to give them a little talk and uh, get us back focused on the right things and, you know, a little, little dad speech. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll be pouring my heart out and talking about something so serious and trying to get a little stern or something like that, and they'll, they'll laugh in the middle of it. And that, that makes you mad, doesn't it? That makes you so frustrated and irritated. I'm wanting them to be like, yes, sir, you're right, dad. You're right, dad. Yes, sir. And instead, they're not listening, they're joking, they're like elbowing each other and laughing out loud. And, you know, you like kids that laugh and joke around, don't you? Isn't that, isn't that good? The problem is, is there's a time to do it and there's a time to not. And if a kid doesn't figure that out, then they're going to they're gonna have a hard time, aren't they? And you know what? We can smile about that because they're kids and hopefully by the grace of God, they're going to mature as they grow. It may not be laughing or, or giggling, but I got to be honest with you all this morning that adults struggle with these things as well. Things that we're proud of and things that we're not proud of. Things that we're ashamed of and things that we should be ashamed of. In James chapter 1, James says, My beloved brothers, do not be deceived. Read with me, if you will, from James 1, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Three points for you today. Number one, deception. Number two, direction. And number three, declaration. Deception, direction, and declaration. Our first point here today is deception about where sin comes from deception about where sin comes from. This is what James is building on. If you'll look back to what we studied last week, look with me starting at verse uh, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, talking about temptation, 
Let nobody say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Church, we need to hear James say, do not be deceived about this. You have to have a clear understanding. You must be taught, okay? You must think through what it means for something to be bad, what it means for something to be wrong, what it means for something to be evil. And if we have not been informed by God and his truth, we are going to be deceived by this. And you know, in your own life and in the lives of people around us, this is a continuous issue and struggle, right? You see people applauding things they shouldn't applaud. You, feel people, you see people being ashamed of things that they shouldn't be ashamed about, right? We see kids laughing when they shouldn't be laughing, and on and on. And James wants believers to not be deceived about this. Sin does not come from God. Temptation does not come from God. It comes from you, which means there's something about you that is seriously flawed, something inaccurate, something wrong about every single one of us. And we are deceived if we do not believe that. We are deceived if we think that we are still altogether good and fine, right? We are deceived. We're wrong in that. Matter of fact, if we're all together good and fine, then we don't even need God. We don't need God to make us a little bit better. We don't need God to improve upon us. We need God to make us alive because we are dead in our sins. Do not be deceived about this is what James wants us to understand. We need to know what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. It is absolutely a missing the mark on what God wants us to be as far as right and true and honest and good and godly and holy. We are to be for God's glory. We are to reflect what God is like. Sin is anything that misses that. Now, it may miss it big time. If this was a target and you shoot over there, you're way off. But if that's the target and you shot right there, you're still off. That's why there's a big difference between good and godly. That's why there's a big difference between perfect holiness like we find in God. And we need to not be deceived about this. Do not think, do not wander, do not wonder that temptation and sin come from God. It does not. It comes from the devil. It comes from our evil, wicked hearts. That's why James just said there that it comes from your own desire. Said that, I just read it. Deception is a real issue in the world today. Deception about what's good and what's bad. Deception about what's right and what's wrong. Deception about what's true and what's false. We often get these things twisted. We need to admit that. And so what is the key for us not being deceived if he wants us to not be deceived? Because he writes, do not be deceived, right? The key is faith. Faith in God, faith in a God who's revealed himself, faith in a God who has revealed himself through his son Jesus, who lived a life that explained God to us and then offered himself up on the cross in our place. The loving, beautiful sacrifice of God giving his son for us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our judgment will have already happened, so that we can escape the judgment, so that we can be at peace with God, so that we can come into a relationship with God, believing God and believing God's truth Believing what God has told us about himself is the key to not being deceived. Rick Warren says, faith that works 
when life doesn't work. I like that. Faith that works when life doesn't work. We need not be deceived. But when you bring up even the idea of deception, deception about where sin comes from, there's a hard truth that you and I must admit. When we're trying to analyze or sort out deception, we fall into who's the judge here? Who gets to decide? And this is a hard truth for us to accept. You aren't the judge. Y'all, we're not the judge. You don't get to decide what's right and wrong, good or bad, true or false. God does. He's the God. He's our maker. He's the truth. And yet, all of us, myself included, we're often trying to figure out situations based off ourselves like we are the judge. One of the clearest ways that you're abandoning faith in God, faith in the truth, one of the ways that you are straying down a path you shouldn't go is when you find yourselves without truth influencing you, trying to judge or determine right and wrong, good or bad, true or false. Don't do that. We aren't the judge. He is. We're deceived when we are being the judge. He's the judge. Which means, then, in order to not be deceived, we have to know what he's like. We have to know what he says. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, when you say to somebody, don't be deceived, right, there's a chance that that comes across strong, but I want to point out to you what James does. He comes soft here, and I like that. Now, we know that James can often be very strong, and he says a whole lot of things, but here he comes with my beloved brothers, meaning I don't want you to be deceived. Deception is a real thing. It's scary. Temptation's real in all of our lives. We could be tempted. Our heart's desire. Remember last week I told you how this was a fishing term, and I kind of <coughs> used that example of a, of a fish that sees a, a worm drop in on a hook, and, it, and, and it's getting enticed by it, and the Bible uses the word entice, and it uses the word lure. These are fishing terms, right? Well, what James is telling us is that inside of you is a bad deception that if it comes close enough to you, you will go and bite that hook knowing that it's going to destroy you. And every one of us are vulnerable to that. Something that could eat you alive and ruin your life. Like an ox led to the slaughter. He does not know this will cost him his life, Proverbs 7 says, about us giving into sexual sins. It says that in Proverbs 7. And inside of us is, a, is, a, is, a, is an evil desire that with enough temptation and lure and enticement, we will abandon what is good and right and true, and we will embrace that that is bad for us because we thought that it was good. We thought that it looked good. We thought that it would be good. We thought that it would taste good or feel good or be good for us, and it's not. We cannot be the judge on these things. He is, and he says that softly or gently. Listen to me, my beloved brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Don't think you've got it all figured out. Be a humble disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know the old song that says, I need you, I need you, I need thee, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Look to Jesus day and night. Don't be deceived. We are to understand 
life through God and God's truth. We are not, listen to me, we are not to try to understand God through life. That's us being the judge. And we look around at everything and we try to make sense of God out of all the things that we're thinking. That's backwards. The humble disciple, the follower of Christ says, I'm looking to God. I know that he speaks. I hear his truth. I'm reading the Bible. I'm listening to the truth. My eyes are on Christ. I'm believing. And through that, we then seek to understand life. What do we think about this? And what do we think about this? And what are your views on this? And how are you going to handle this? And what are you going to do there? And how are you going to react to that? Those types of thoughts are where we go after we have believed and sought God. It is from God that we go and live. Now, I know that that's a lot easier said than done. And a lot of times we're already living before we've considered God. And a lot of times we're already struggling before we've considered God. And a lot of times we're already deceived or in deception when we just say, I want to consider God, right? Maybe we haven't looked to truth in a long time. And so we're thinking, I'm already being deceived a little bit. And so we should hear the gentle softness from James. Listen to me, beloved brothers and sisters. Do not be deceived. Run from deception. Lean in. Believe. Trust God. Faith is the key to not being deceived. Deception about where sin comes from. And he says, don't be deceived. So while he's telling us that sin and evil and temptation are not from God and do not think that it is, that the problem with you is your own sinfulness and your sinful heart. And the problem with you is that the devil is working as a force, a spiritual force to keep you deceived. You need to know the truth. And so while he's saying that, he then moves into the very next sentence, verse 17. And that's our second point. Direction about where good comes from. And so this uh, verse 16 about not being deceived becomes kind of like a hinge verse of how 13 through 15 is bad if you're thinking that God is the one bringing this into your life, right? Don't be deceived into thinking that. And then you get to verse 17, and don't be deceived in not knowing where good comes from. God is a good God. And you're being deceived if anybody's taught you that he's not. You're being deceived if you're trying to think about terms where you have elevated yourself above God, and so you're determining what you think God is. That's wrong. That is wrong. God's God. He's bigger. He's better. He's more powerful. He's smarter than every one of us. We need God to teach us about us. We don't need us to teach us about God. And you're being deceived if you think that. And so secondly, we have direction about where good comes from. Verse 16, do not be deceived. Verse 17 says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Amen. Coming down from the Father. Now I know that life is complicated and so if you... You know, if you've been working hard and you've saved some money, you can think, man, I've been working hard and I've, paid, I've saved some money. And I know life is complicated, and so if you're, you know, you've been drinking your water and you've been doing your little exercises that you think, well, that's why I'm healthy. But you've got to know that life is not as simple as that. And that anything good in your life has come to you from the hand of God. 
If you're alive, it's because God's kept you alive. If you're healthy, it's because God has kept you healthy and blessed you with it. If you have some money saved, it's because God has blessed you with some money. If you have a back and a work ethic, it's because God has given you that. Every good thing, every perfect thing is a gift from God, and it comes from him. You have to understand that. Don't be so prideful and so arrogant to try to simply explain away life when there are so many scenarios that we have not considered yet, right? These situations where, why did that happen to those people? They didn't deserve that. Why is that not happening to those people? They do deserve that, right? And we could go on and on about all of that. We need to understand that bad comes from the devil and our sinful hearts, and good comes from God. James says you need some clarity on this. Don't be deceived. Direction about where good comes from. 1 John chapter 1 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He is a good God. Well, from there, James says it comes down from the Father, but it calls him the Father of lights. The Father of lights. This is an interesting phrase. Other than James, you'll never hear it, right? This is not anywhere else in the New Testament. It's not anywhere else in the Old Testament. This phrase describing God as the Father of lights is completely unique to James chapter 1, the Father of lights. This is a Jewish phrase. This is a Jewish phrase that calls God the father of lights. And what it's doing is it's speaking of God as the one who made the lights in the heavens, in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars. God being creator, God is the maker and sustainer and the provider. He's the one who created the sun and the whole system in which it works. He's the one who made the moon and the whole system in which it works. He's the one who made the stars and the whole system in which it works. And you know There is a lot of emphasis in the world, around the world, in different parts of the world, on the stars, on the sun, sun god, on the moon, right? There are people who love these things, study these things, worship these things. There are people that follow these things, right? And so it is a good biblical belief to understand that even those great lights, as they are often called in the Bible, even those great lights were made and controlled by the one true God, our Father in heaven. The next time you're outside and you see a sunset or a full moon may not solely be in all of their beauty, but may you be in all of the beauty that one that made it. If the sun is that impressive, how much more is the Father that made it? So the name here that James uses and only uses here is the father of lights. But there's a reason why he does that. He didn't just pick a random name, the father of lights. Because the issue here is deception about what's good and deception about what's bad and us trying to discern that. And that's hard. I know that it is hard. So James calls him the father of lights because look what he says about him. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. One of the things you know about the lights, the great lights in the heavens, is that they change, right? What was a beautiful sunset one day may not even be there the next day. Sunsets are always different. Overcast skies eliminate it. What might be a big, heavy sun one day beaming down on you so that you have to wear some sunglasses because the sun is so bright may be a non-issue. Some days you don't even need your sunglasses, right? Because those lights change. 
Stars are sometimes visible and sometimes they're not, right? You know, when I have little kids and they're growing up quickly, we used to love to go out at, at night and say, where's the moon at? Can you show me the moon? And they'll look around and, and they'll see it. And of course, we only say that on a night where you can see the moon. And every once in a while, when you're carrying a kid in the house, they'll say, dad, where's the moon? You can't find it. Because you know what? Sometimes the moon's not out. And sometimes it's not shaped the way you saw it last time. Isn't that right? The lights in the heavens are known for changing, at least in the way that we view them. You know what? Life is also known for changing. And one of the hardest things, I don't want to get too emotional on you here today, one of the hardest things for us to process in life is how much it changes. Well, it's just not the way it used to be. Y'all done changed on me now. You used to treat me like this. Now it's like this. Oh, it's different now. I know that your family, like my family, has all of those discussions. Oh, it's just not what it used to be. Those are the good old days. I remember when everybody used to do this and everybody used to do that. And we find ourselves getting caught up on how things change, and yet there's nothing we can do about that, right? There's nothing we can do about life changing. If your life was so fun because you used to go to the zoo and take your kids and walk around the zoo, well, I got news for you. That's going to stop eventually. They grow up, and you're not going to the zoo with them anymore. And what was such a nice little, you know, Saturday morning at the zoo with your kids, now your Saturday mornings are boring and lonely, and all you can do is just wake up and mow the grass. Life changes. And kids growing up is just a part of it. But life changes a lot. Friends come and go. Family members come and go. Jobs change. We move around. Y'all, life changes. And when you start to decide and analyze what's good, you've got to have a category of the change in life to help you think what's good. Because if you're the judge on trying to figure out what's good and what's bad, and you don't think in a healthy way about this, because something changed, you'll say it's not good anymore. And that's not true. Life changes and it can still be good. And for, in order for James, listen to me, and I, I feel like I say this over and over again, in order for James to get us to understand this, it's not a spiritual pep talk to just say, hey, think better. It's a looking to God. And here's what he says about God, the Father of lights. He does not change at all. He's not like the moon that every once in a while you see him a little bit differently in that way. He doesn't change. He does not change. With whom there is no variation, there is no shadow due to change. One of the most beautiful things about life is that God doesn't change. You need to know that. You need to think that. You need to be reminded of that. He doesn't change. What God is for right now, he was for a hundred years ago. What God is for right now, he was for a thousand years ago. He does not change. What God says then, he says now. The way God loves then, he loves now. He doesn't change. You need to believe that. That will be so good for your life, for your faith. Faith works. That will be so good for you in a changing world, for you to have a rock-solid foundation that does not change. I dare say you need that. You need right now to plant your feet and to bend your knees and to cast your eyes on something that doesn't change in a world that's constantly changing. You all know that this week we're going to hear some more announcements. They're going to change the rules again. Things keep changing. But God doesn't. Rock solid, steady, 
Kevin DeYoung, speaking on how God doesn't change, says, God never dies. God never moves on. God never fails. He doesn't walk out of your life. His word does not change. His character does not change. His decrees do not change. He is immovable in goodness, immovable in his mercy. He is immovable in his purpose to be your God in Christ Jesus, always for you, never against you through Christ. Greater love has nobody than this for you that God would give his son to take his judgment for your sins in your place. You do not have a friend that good. You do not have a family member that good. Christ is the very best thing that could ever happen to you if you would believe. He loves you, and he will not change from being that way to you. He is rock solid. Believe, believe, believe. And that's what James means when we're wrestling through what's good and how am I supposed to understand temptation and evil and sin and and what's bad and how am I supposed to think through what is good and all the good things in my life? How am I to, to understand this? He says, don't be deceived. And then he says, God doesn't change. Oh, that that would be so good for you. In the prophets in Malachi 3, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. He just declares that. You can keep believing God. You should be able to say, There's a lot of things I'm not really sure about, but I am sure about this, God. You ought to be able to say in a a day where everybody's forced to think through their opinion about everything's now, I mean, everything is so opinionated these days, you ought to be able to say, I'm not so sure, I I don't know. But here's what I do know, God. I know a lot about him. He says a lot. He's on the throne. He died for me. The cross was real. The resurrection happened. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty, right? Forgiveness is still a real thing. And it is still the most driving factor in my life that God has forgiven me of my sins. He's not mad at me. He welcomes me. I have peace with him because of Jesus. This is the direction in our lives about where good comes from. And James says this in, in, in a neat way. I mean, it sounds like some rather flowery language when he says, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When you hear that, it probably brings to mind, I hope it does, a good old church song. It's hymn 54. It's one of my absolute favorites. I've got a printout of this hymn hanging in the bathroom at our house. It's Great is Thy Faithfulness, hymn 54. I hope you know that one. And the song Great is Thy Faithfulness is really good. It's not very long. It's only three short verses, and the chorus is Great is Thy Faithfulness, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's really good. And this phrase, great is thy faithfulness, as you know, comes from Lamentations chapter 3. This is a conclusion that the prophet Jeremiah makes when he's thinking about how much suffering there is in his life and how much he sees the people of God turning their back against God in a world that is so disappointing and in a life that is such a downer and letdown for the prophet Jeremiah, he finds hope and strength in his faith that God is faithful that God doesn't change, that God is good, and he declares, great is your faithfulness. What a statement. But in the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, you might remember, the first line goes like this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. 
as thou hast been, thou forever will be. That hymn was written by Thomas Chisholm in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It's over 100 years old. And what he wrote then is a beautiful truth for the people of God is that God does not change. If he was ever faithful, he's still faithful right now. He will not give up on you. He will not let you down. He is faithful to us. And one of the lines that he says there is there is no shadow of turning with thee, you change not, which comes exactly from James chapter 1, verse 17. Great is thy faithfulness. Yesterday I attended a wedding. And weddings are good to attend. You know, I've, I've taught you all a lot how good funerals are for you to attend. We don't like going to funerals. But they're good for you because they'll get you thinking about a lot of things. Well, yesterday, I got to thinking rather thoroughly about weddings being the same way. And that's a good date. Me and Val got to go to a wedding last night, and that was, that was awesome. I was reminded I need to love her and be a good husband. I was reminded that I made wedding vows to her some 15 years ago that I need to keep. And I was reminded that God has made vows to me and he's keeping them. Isn't that encouraging to you? That when God makes a promise to you, he keeps it. You don't have to worry about it. I'm sure Val gets worried at times whether I'm going to keep my, keep my end of the bargain in marriage. But not with God. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises to us. He is faithful in that relationship. And then at the reception... I got to watch a father-daughter dance, and I wasn't ready for that. And I sat there just in a trance. Tears started, and I leaned over to Matt McBroom, and I said, Matt, I ain't ready for this, man. And I started thinking about the potential of one day, by the grace of God, Carolina and Liliana getting married. And me having to do a father-daughter dance with them. And I had the thought right there, listen to me. I wonder what song they'll pick. And then I thought, what's the longest song ever made? <laughs> Is there a song out there that doesn't end? <laughs> and I can just get into that one and it just keep going. But then you know what I thought next? Y'all, life changes, doesn't it? It's inevitable that your little girls grow up. It is. If you can't handle the reality of girls growing up and kids becoming adults and life changing and transitioning, then it's going to get the best of you. It's going to have you too emotional. And you're not going to have a joy because your joy was in a circumstance that doesn't last forever. People pass away Bodies wear out, jobs change, activities change, sweet little girls grow up. And all those things that are good are not to be our source of joy and strength and happiness and life. You know what is? The God that gives them. The God that gives them. We need direction 
about where good comes from. We don't worship kids. We don't worship weddings. We don't worship jobs. We don't worship seasons of life that are just so great. We worship the God who is a father to us who never changes. That's who we worship. Number one, deception about where sin comes from. Number two, direction about where good comes from. And then lastly, a declaration about where believers come from. In what seems to be a rather heavy shift in verse 18, James shifts. He's been talking for quite some time about um, temptation. I mean, even verses two through four, when he begins the book, are about trials and suffering and toughness and steadfastness and that type of stuff. And he gets back into it here at 12 through 15, and you've got lust and lure and enticement and temptation and evil desires and sin and death and all of that. You've got to make sure you're not deceived to think through that. But at the end of the day, is it really a thinking change or where does that come from? The ability to not be deceived and the ability to think directly about the good God who gives good gifts, where does that come from? Do not be mistaken. It will not be found apart from a commitment to Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 18. Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If you want to read James chapter one, you'll get into sin, temptation, you'll get into wisdom, you'll get into money. You remember when Jake preached on that? You'll get into how the rich people should be thinking and how lowly people should be thinking. You'll get into humility and acceptance. You'll get into not being judgmental. James chapter one has a lot to teach you, right? It has a lot to instruct the world on how to think and how to live. But I just got to tell you, it won't happen in your life until you surrender to Christ. How does somebody get like that? Verse 18 says, God does it by his own will when he brings us forth by the word of truth. And your translation may not say brought us forth, but the language here is, is birth. The language here is being born. And you can see what James is doing because he says that's also where death comes from. Look at verse six, uh, 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin, it is fully grown, brings forth death. So in the same way that temptation can bring about sin from your heart, if you don't kill temptation and flee temptation and turn away from it, right, then sin and therefore death will be birthed in you. In the same way, God births in us a love for him. Of his own will, he creates life in us. But notice what it says there, by the word of truth. It is through the truth of the word of God, which is the standard for what God is like, which is the key for you not being deceived. It is this message, the saving message of Christ on the cross that will make you alive to truth, make you alive to good, make you aware of bad, keep you from being deceived about what's good and true, right and wrong, all that stuff. All of that happens through the work of God in you through his word, according to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, just a little bit ago, we read from 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to read it to you again. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 25. It says, Since you have been born again, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, listen to this, through the living and abiding word of God. What happened to you? It wasn't the way you were raised. It's not because you had such good parents. It's not because you had some good influences in your life. It's not because of the motivational speech that somebody gave you. It's not because you went through a trial and you learned the best from it. It's not. It's because at some point, the word of God was preached to you. It got inside of you and God went to work through it. That's how God works. And this is not an agenda from a preacher since this is my profession. This is what the Bible says. Look at verse 23 that I just read through the living and abiding word of God. Jump down to verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The emphasis on a living faith, faith that works in the Bible is that the word of God does it. And so we find, so we find the person that is not in the word of God is deceived. Deceived about who they are, Deceived about what's the real problem with the world. Deceived about right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. Deceived about heaven and hell, where you go, why you're going there, why you're not going there, how you're getting there. Folks, you're not going to get to heaven because of how good you are. And you're not going to not get there because of how bad you are. You're going to get there if you're forgiven. And you're going to not get there if you're not forgiven. And guess what? Jesus died so that you can be forgiven. And every one of you can be forgiven. Turn to him. Ask him. Declaration about where believers come from. When God uses his word in our hearts and makes us alive to believe. He sets us on a path of desiring truth, and we are now in this uh, uh, system of aiming to not be deceived. And so we read, and we learn, and we're taught, and we're discipled. We are made into a disciple. We're just constantly trying to, go, to grow on what is true and what his word says. In other words, you can't be a newbie. You can't be somebody who uh, doesn't know much about the Word of God and automatically say, oh, I'm not going to be deceived about anything because I went to church a few times or I got baptized once and so now I'm not deceived about anything. No, that's not what he says. He says the Word of God makes us alive and when he makes us alive, he gives us a desire, a hunger, an appetite for the truth and in the truth, we learn to not be deceived. We've got to understand this. And so... James writes, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived about where sin comes from. Do not be deceived about where good comes from. And do not be deceived about where believers come from. Jesus changes lives, but he does it according to his truth. And when he changes a life, the desire there is to not be deceived. It is to be faithful to God as we have known him to be faithful to us. I remember several years ago, I was doing a hospital visit and uh, I had taken somebody with me. A lot of times I tried to go somewhere. I just see if somebody want to ride with me. Don't like to be alone, you know, one of those insecurities. And so we were coming out of the hospital. We just got doing a, a hospital visit and we're, we're coming out of the hospital. And as we're walking through, it was over here at uh, Saints Mary and 
Saints Mary and Elizabeth down here, and uh, we were walking out through, through the lobby, and we're just talking and trying to get out. They got those double sliding doors to go into the parking lot, and there was a sweet little old lady kind of way over there on the side, off to the side, and she says, excuse me, young men. We say, yes, ma'am. She said, are you guys Boy Scouts? I still don't know if that was a compliment or an insult. Are you guys Boy Scouts? I said, no, ma'am, we're not. She said, ah, shucks. I said, well, what is it? She said, well, my car's right out there. I got all these boxes right here. I'm just trying to get them in my car. And I thought, if you guys were Boy Scouts, y'all would probably help me. And I thought, man, that's a pretty cool how well she thinks of Boy Scouts. I, they would like to hear that. But with all due respect to the Boy Scouts, and I do appreciate the Boy Scouts, a real Christian should be much more quick to be faithful and helpful and kind. I said, ma'am, we're not Boy Scouts, but we love Jesus. We'd be glad to carry that out to your car. And we did. When you know that God is faithful and good and he forgives you of your sins, he will humble you to the core he will remove that pride and arrogance from you and you'll want to live a life that reflects the good, glory, faithfulness of God through Christ. May we not be deceived about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for James chapter one. Thank you, God, for faith that works. Thank you, Father, for the warning that we not be deceived. God, we pray that you would build us up in truth and faith and clarity that we would not be thinking wrongly about things. God, may we never call good bad and may we never call bad good and may, may we never call wrong right and right wrong. Help us to not be deceived. God, you are a good God to us. May we embrace you through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you've not committed yourself to Christ, then do it. There's a time of response right now. You can come forward and talk to me. You can bow your head there. You can sit down, stand up, sing, do whatever you want, but get focused. Do not be deceived. Don't live a deceived life. Don't be a churchgoer that's not informed by the truth. Don't say you're a Christian if you're not gonna look to Christ. Don't be deceived. If you wanna talk to me about becoming a Christian, I hope you do that. If you want to talk about becoming a member of the church, I'll help you do that. Either way, as we sing, let's respond.